Turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. This morning we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the very end of the book. This will be our last sermon in 1 Thessalonians starting next week. Uh, we're going to go back to John's Gospel beginning in chapter 18, and that's going to take us all the way up to the Easter story on Easter. And so that'll be a really good exercise for us. In fact, I believe Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, marking the beginning of Lent this Wednesday. So it'll really fit in. Some of that is planned. Um, all of it is God's sovereignty. So <laughs> if you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's on page 988. And to think through our text this morning, I want to talk to you about guarantees. And one guarantee in particular, a famous guarantee that was once made in 1968. I heard it was a good year. A football player named Joe Namath guaranteed that his team, the New York Jets, would beat the Baltimore Colts in the Super Bowl. Now, why do we know so many years later, for me it feels many years later, the 60s was not a great decade for me. Think about it, think about it, okay. <laughs> but why do we remember this? Why do we remember quarterback Joe Namath proclaiming that his team was guaranteed to win? First, we understand that any guarantee in sports is sort of foolish. Just ask the 2008 University of Virginia basketball team that lost to the number 16-ranked University of Maryland Baltimore County Retrievers. There's a ferocious mascot for you. The first time it had ever happened in the history of the NCAA. So it's foolish for any team to proclaim their victory before it happens. The other reason that we remember Namath's guarantee was it was a big deal because the Baltimore Colts were favored in the betting odds by 18 points. It was a not supposed to be a close game. No one picked the Jets to win, but the fact that I'm using this in a sermon would lead you to believe, or if you lived through it yourself, you know that Namath's words came true. His guarantee actually happened, and the Jets won 16-7, to moving that game out of just being another Super Bowl, but into legendary status. I share this story with you and talk about guarantees because when you really analyze the guarantee, this was no, nothing more than a show of confidence because Namath could not actually make a guarantee. Namath was one player of many, and while he was a good football player, he did not exhibit sovereignty over all of the actions of people in that football stadium. And it demonstrates to us Again, I think this is why we remember it, that it wasn't actually a guarantee. Because no person, not even Joe Namath, can make a guarantee. 
And this is one, one of many ways that God is so much greater than us. Because at the end of 1 Thessalonians, this last part of the book, Paul is going to reference some guarantees we have from God. And because God is the true God of the universe, unlike Joe Namath, when God makes a guarantee, it is in fact a guarantee. So today as we look at our text, we're going to see the guarantee we have from God to make us more like Jesus as we wait with hope for the certain return of Jesus Christ. So our big idea, if you're following along in the outline providing your bulletin, is this, that believers live with confidence under the sanctifying power of God as we wait for Christ's return. So let's begin by looking at the beginning of verse 23. And again, if you're using your outline there, you can see point one, sanctified by the peace of God. Follow along as I read. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Now the language of these verses is what we call a benediction. And the language is, like we use, again, we've used this as our closing benediction every time we've been in the book of 1 Thessalonians. But it's a language of prayer to what God will do in someone's life. And it's presented as a prayer slash blessing to the people that are hearing it. And so when Paul begins here, he, he identifies God as the God of peace, and he is calling them to the action of God of sanctifying them completely. So as we look at this, I'm going to break that into two parts. Number one, why he identifies God as the God of peace, and then what it means that God will sanctify us completely. So God is the God of peace. He is the God who brings peace. And I want to give you three categories of how God is the God of peace. And the first is that God gives us peace with God. The first way that God is the God of peace is that when we were enemies and rebels because of our sin, he sent his son Jesus so that through his grace and faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, those who were his enemies would become his children. And that through the reconciling work of Jesus Christ, he has made peace between us and a holy God. And so the bedrock of our relationship with God is the peace that was made through the death of Jesus Christ. That we who were sinners and enemies were made holy and sons and daughters of God. Secondly, through God we have peace with others. That on the basis of our salvation in Christ, God brings together his people. And when you read through the book of 1 Thessalonians, as we've worked through it, you've seen how Paul meant to bring peace to this church in resolving the conflicts. And so through 
the word, through the preaching of the word, God creates peace between his people. And finally, and again, this is central to the book of 1 Thessalonians, that when we are in relationship with God, we can have peace within ourselves. We can have that inner peace. Think about when Paul was dealing with all of the worry and fear that the Thessalonians has because they were worried that those who had died before the return of Christ would miss out on the resurrection. And he said, comfort one another with these words. When we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we do not have to be worried, we do not have to be afraid because our future is secure. We have eternal life. Not we might get eternal life. And God is the God of peace in that when he says those who belong to him will have eternal life, it is a guarantee. And in the strong words of God, we can have peace. And we can understand our God as a God who gives peace. But after identifying God as the God of peace, Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians is that God would sanctify them completely. Now, sanctify, this is a good theology word, a good Bible word. Remember, it means to make holy. And as we've noted before, the Bible talks about two ways that we are made holy. We talked about this earlier in the book of 1 Thessalonians, that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are made holy. That is that positional sanctification. That we have been saved, we have been made holy. But that is also the beginning of a life of progressive sanctification, of growing in holiness. This is not something that we achieve by ourselves. But what Paul recognizes in the lives of the Thessalonians is that God himself is sanctifying them. God has sanctified you in Christ and he will continue to sanctify you. God is at work in you to make you more like Jesus. Paul's prayer here recognizes that it is God who makes us holy and it is God who grows us in holiness. And because it is him doing it, he is the one sanctifying us, it will actually happen. God does not fail in his sanctifying work. God has made you holy in Christ, and God will grow you in that holiness. Again, I want you to feel the stability and the certainty of Paul's words here. That your life in Christ is not merely a matter of your performance, because if it was, you would fail. Because when you're honest with yourself and the older you get, you see your failure so much clearer. But God is at work in your life, sanctifying you day by day. We see Paul continue 
in this idea of sanctification in the next part of verse 23. So in point two in your outline there, being kept blameless for the return of Christ. Look again at verse 23. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The beginning of this petition places God's work of holiness in our whole spirit, soul, and body. And in using these three parts of our being as humans, Paul is emphasizing the totality, the complete nature of it. That in one sense, you can divide a person, especially in the ancient world, they would think this way, you could divide a person into their spirit, soul, and body. And that is what, those are the parts that make you up as a person. And in mentioning all three, the idea is that God is at work in every single aspect of your life. He is keeping you blameless in your heart, in your emotions, in your mind, in your thoughts, in your body, in your actions. Everything that you do comes under the sanctifying work of Christ. God doesn't miss any corners in the house of your life. And he doesn't sweep anything under the rug. Again, you need to see how God is at work in keeping you blameless, in protecting you, in guarding your life as he grows you in holiness. But why would we need to be kept blameless? And we see in the next part of the verse there, again, a central theme in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The return of Christ, the certainty of that return, and what Christ will do when he returns is central to the book of 1 Thessalonians. What is clear in the Bible and in 1 Thessalonians is that Jesus will return. And he will not come as a baby like he did at Christmas, but he will come as mighty king and judge. And if Jesus is coming to judge the world, what is the most important thing? That you be kept blameless as you stand before him. Because what is true about the return of Jesus is that those who belong to him, those who have been kept blameless by God, will enter into eternal life and the life of the resurrection. But those who have rejected Christ, who have not been kept blameless, will find judgment. And Jesus will bring his justice on those who have rejected him and who have not been kept blameless by the Lord. When we are saved by Jesus, we do not have to fear the return of Christ. When Christ has a hold of us, we will be kept blameless at the return of Christ.
Not maybe, not might be, not kind of, sort of, maybe, but not really. But we will have confidence. That when you die, or if you live to see the return of Christ, if you belong to Jesus by grace through faith, you will stand innocent before the Lord. You will experience the resurrection to eternal life. It's not a maybe, it is a guarantee. And that's the emphasis of verse 24. What Paul, what we could see between the lines in verse 23 Paul explicitly states in the wonderful words of verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The one who called us to salvation, taking us back to chapter 1 of God's call in our lives to Christ, the one who saved us will surely keep us and guard us until the end. You don't have to worry that God's forgiveness will be enough to cover your sins. You don't have to worry about missing out on eternal life. You don't have to worry that you are not performing to God's holy standard. God is faithful. God keeps his promises. When he speaks, he always stays faithful to his word. We do not fear judgment or condemnation because our God is trustworthy and faithful. Now, as we see this in the text, I want to briefly note the context in which all this happens in the short verses of 25 to 28. Let me read that briefly. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The life that we live in the confidence we have in Christ is lived in community. Paul ends his letter with these short phrases emphasizing that believers are brothers and sisters in Christ. You see in verses 25, 26, and 27, the word brothers or brothers and sisters is mentioned in each of those. That we have been brought together into the family of God. Paul in 25 asks for his prayers. This leader, this missionary who founded this church, needs the prayers of his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. He calls them to greet one another. Now don't get scared by holy kiss. There's a great Babylon Bee article about a junior high kid finding this verse in the Bible. It's great satire. You'll have to check it out. Again, think more Europe than dating in high school. 
but there is a kindness and affection that we are to have to one another as we go through this life. That when we live under the certainty of the cross, we can actually live in true, loving community. And in verse 27, it is the truth of God's word that unifies us as a people. It is within these relationships and in these places where God is at work in sanctifying us and guarding us as we wait for his return. couple points of application as we close this morning. Number one, God has made you holy through faith in Jesus Christ and will continue to make you holy like Jesus. These are facts. These are completed actions, not by the Thessalonians, not by us, but by God. We are made holy and reconciled to God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and this begins a life of God changing us, of God growing us, making us more like Christ. The confidence you can have as you live your life is that God is at work in your life. God is making you more like Jesus in everything that you experience, in everything that you do. To followers of Jesus will be ready for the return of Christ. We are kept by God looking forward to the return of Christ. When Christ returns, he will bring justice and judgment on all wickedness and evil. But those who belong to Christ do not fear the judgment of Christ because through Christ we are forgiven and made holy and reconciled to God. We look forward to this return where we will be with Christ face to face for eternity because God is saving us. You're not being good enough so that God might pick you at the end. God, by his sovereign grace, is at work in your life, and when you are in his hands, you are guaranteed the hope of eternal life. And that's the last point. One of the the gifts of this part of 1 Thessalonians is the certainty and the clarity of the declaration of that certainty. God will keep his word and do what he has promised. There is, this is the only real guarantee in life. No quarterback, no matter how great, can actually make a guarantee. No person, no matter how powerful, whether they be president or king or emperor, can make a guarantee. But we have a guarantee from God because he is the actual true God.
And when our God speaks, he keeps his word. There is comfort and joy and stability in our lives when we understand the guarantees of our God. One more time, verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your sovereign care in our lives. That you are at work in our lives, making us more like Christ, and that you have, by your sovereign grace, made us your people through faith in Jesus Christ. That we do not have to fear the future, we do not have to fear judgment or condemnation, that you will keep us, that you will guard us as we wait for the culmination of your kingdom in the resurrection and eternal life. God, that we would stand on the rock of who you are because you are faithful and you will do what you have promised. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.